Hi there, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. And we have a very special guest today. It has become a All-Star Week tradition for us. Last year, we brought you Cal Ripken Jr. This year, we bring you another Baseball Hall of Famer, Bud Selig, the ninth commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, and a man who led baseball for 22 of the most eventful and interesting years in the history of the game. Mr. Seeley, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So there's a lot of, lot of, thing, lot of ground I want to cover, a lot of baseball to be sure. played today. Uh, but I want to start with a political story that you recount in the book. Uh, in, the, in the 1990s, during the 1994 work stoppage that resulted in the cancellation of the World Series, uh, the Clinton administration was quite involved in trying to make sure that there was a uh, an end to the conflict to save baseball's season. Um, and you recount a particular episode with Vice President Al Gore. Tell, tell us the story of, of how you came to curse out Al Gore. Well, the background um, was that in October, we lost the World Series. Tragic story. Had labor peace ever since. So maybe it all worked out, as I say in the book. But um, we were called to Washington on October 14th, uh, Don Fear, head of the union, and myself, and I went in to meet President Clinton before, and and um, I, I knew what he wanted because uh, David Glass, who owns the Kansas City Royals, uh, at that time was chairman of Walmart, and Hillary Clinton was on his board. So, mm. so he he had called me and he said, that, you know, they want to bring in uh, Bill Ussery, very famous labor mediator. Our clubs really didn't want to do it, but. David said to me, you know, I think we ought, you ought to, but it's up to you. Whatever you want to do. The clubs didn't want to do it. But the president asked me and said, whatever Mr. Ustry comes up with, I'll support. Mm-hmm. And we'll support. Well, I accepted and said, you know, we'll accept it too. And that was it. And uh, now we battled and argued. And I argued and battled, although and Bill Ustry was a remarkable human being, by the way. And he had solved problems ever since Harry S. Truman. So, wow. I mean, he's a guy that had a lot of experience. And um, now it's February, and I get called to Washington. I have a committee. A lot of the committee members are there. And uh, I said, Mr. Ussery, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Sure enough, 7 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. It was Bill Ussery. And I met him downstairs, and he gave me his plan. I didn't like it too much, but it was okay, but not... But, look, I had given my word. And uh, he said, I'll be back to you. i got to go see the union. Well, the day started going on and on and had a lot of owners, and we were all starting to get nervous, calling every senator we knew, which were a lot of them. And uh, nobody knew anything. Finally, at 5 o'clock, we get a call, be at the White House at 7. Not a good sign. Right. So we go to the White House. I'm there with three or four other owners off the committee, and um, we sit in. Players are there, a lot of players, Don Fair, Gene Oizel, the union. And they get up, and the next thing we know, I can see Bill Ussery sitting downcast. Now, he had solved every labor problem that he had been given by every American president up to that point. And um, it was obvious it was falling apart. The union didn't like it. But we had all given our word. Let me. Right. Everyone said they'd accept it. I mean, we, we said, otherwise we wouldn't have wasted five months doing all the things we were doing. Well, uh, we took a break. And um, Leon Panetta came to get me and said the president wanted to see me and talked about it. And he said, well, the union just won't accept it. And I said, well, you know, Mr. President. And, 
And then all of a sudden that was it. And the um, uh, door opened up and then came a lot of people, Vice President Gore, George Stephan, a lot of people. And um, President Clinton sort of drifted off and uh, Vice President started talking about why he couldn't do it and wouldn't do it and referred a lot to the little guys, meaning small and medium markets. Mm -hmm. People in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Detroit, on and on and on probably wouldn't like that too much. And I finally blew up and... Senator Mitchell and I were particularly close, and he had gone, but he told me the next day that Leon said it was a temper tantrum. Not that I enjoyed it, but we had given our word. What did you say to Vice President Gore? Well, um, he was siding with the union, in your view. He it was, was uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, you know, I can on occasion drop a lot of f bombs and <laughs> do a lot of other things, and it did because. We had given it. We had agreed that we were going to accept Bill Ustry, and Bill Ustry, I had seen in the hallway in between, and uh, he had an economist who I liked a lot, Herb Fishgold, and they were downcast and apologetic, and he went through every American president, started with quote and unquote Harry S. Truman, so on and so forth, and he, I know, and so I had had enough, and I said, if, and I finally, it was. Pretty wild. It was ugly. It was pretty wild for because, you know, it was the future of the game. We worked our way around it, went through a lot of torture, though, in, 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 for the next year or two as a result of all this, and um, but came out all right in the end. As you mentioned, 25 years since, uh, since then, and there hasn't been another work stoppage. Right. Baseball has grown exponentially during that time. Is it your view with hindsight that it was necessary, maybe even healthy, to go through what you did in 1984, that it had to happen? Well, you know, that's a great question because I'll tell you why as a historian. Sometimes you have to go through some agony to get to where you want to get. Losing the 94 World Series was absolutely heartbreaking. But the system was broken. The clubs wanted a cap. Every other sport had a cap, by the way. We have worked our way around it to this day without one. But I guess, I think future historians will really view that as something you had to go through to get to where we wanted to get to. So it's a great question. So you you talk in the book about uh, Clinton and Gore and also Governor Tommy Thompson, who you tangled with over, over funding uh, of a publicly financed stadium in, in Wisconsin. In your view overall, when you dealt with politicians in your role, you knew a lot of them, as you said. Were they constructive? Were they productive conversations? Or was it a, a situation where politicians were getting involved, made things messier? Well, that, it would depend on the issue. Uh, in the stadium issue, and look, I understand that politicians have a background, and I, I, I was a political science and history major, and I understand all the things they have to go through. Um, it's a mixed bag. Um, I've had some very constructive, wonderful relationship with people in the political area. Um, I can mention Joe Lieberman, Chris Dodd. I mean, I could George Mitchell. I I have no higher regard for any human being. Smart, and you always knew where he mm-hmm. was, and he did. And but I said during our stadium battle, um, I watched some Machiavellian behavior, which was unfortunate. And uh, while well, there. 
They're going to push back on it. Obviously, the fact is I have a lot of witnesses to it, and it was uh, – so I guess the answer is um, a mixed bag, but but not without a lot of good ones, too. So we had on the show a couple months ago Tom Davis, who was chairman of the Oversight and Government mm-hmm. Reform Committee uh, during the very famous steroids hearings right. uh, where we had no, the right. images of Palmero. You know, and I know him well. You know, you know him well. So his, his view on it. It, with with a little bit of hindsight, is that the congressional involvement at that time was a galvanizing moment that it forced some issues into the into the open. What's your view? I know you 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 spent a lot of time talking about the steroid, and issue. I like uh, Congressman Davis. I, I do. He was very constructive, but we were already hard at work. Look, I banned steroids in two thousand for the two thousand one season in the minor leagues. It, it's. But it's a subject of collective bargaining in, in the major leagues. And somehow people never quite understood that. The union was public about fighting back. Uh, I mean, uh, look, I, I'm not, I don't want to go back and all of it, but they fought it. We had been through the cocaine era of the 80s and never had a, a drug testing program. And so, and baseball had never had a drug testing program. And here we are trying to, we got one in 03, long before any congressional hearing it was, uh, it, and it, but it was not what I wanted. It needed to be a lot tougher, and we worked on it. Now we did get called up in in '05, and that's what uh, uh, Tom Davis is talking about. And he was very constructive, by the way. Back in answer to your question, I put him in the plus side because he tried to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, others tried not to be so helpful, but it was they got a lot of headlines and so on and so forth. And but overall. Um, I would say that they were there. How helpful? I'll let history do that. So are there times that you look back and say, I wish I could have or I wish I would have? You make, a, you make compelling points about how difficult it was to solve the intractable issues in 1994 and about confronting steroids. People, The commissioner is not a god. The commissioner doesn't get to just exactly, decree these things. Exactly the point. But when you look back at your time, is there a way – do you finish that sentence? I wish I would have. You know, I've thought a lot about that. I'm, my students often – you know, I teach now, so my students have asked me that question. I can honestly tell you that I really don't have an issue that we fought it. I'm sad about 94. I'm sad about losing the World Series. Heartbreaking moment for us. But uh, as we said earlier, maybe things worked out the way we did. You have to do what you think is right. One thing about the, the role of a commissioner in any sport, you have to understand early on, whatever you do, somebody's going to be mad. It just, and that, but you got to do what you think is right for the good of the game, which is why the book was titled the way it is. Uh, Talk a little bit about, uh, about, let's talk about home run champions. Uh, you talk a lot about your friendship with Henry Aaron going back 60 years uh, and, and bringing him back to Milwaukee at the end of his career and obviously being in touch in the decades since. Uh, you dealt with during your time the the heralded chase by Barry Bonds against the Aaron record, uh, and you have an interesting take on Bonds versus A Rod that I want to get to in a moment. But mm-hmm. but in, in your mind, is Henry Aaron still the home run champion of baseball? Well, I've tried not to get in. Look, I uh, I feel uh, I was fortunate to watch Henry in his career, to watch what he did, to watch him break Babe Ruth's record, bring him back to Milwaukee. Uh, he's a Remarkable human being. You know, we're lucky. When you think of the great American icons, Henry Aaron is certainly one of them. No question. And they are what they are, and it's helped baseball. There's no question about it. 
Uh, I didn't have the same feeling about Barry. Um, and uh, But uh, other than that, I just have to let the records be what they are. So talk about Barry Bonds versus Alex Rodriguez, because you have a, a, a kind of a nuanced take on this that I think is instructive for how baseball charts not just its record books and, and its remembrances, but maybe a, a path forward beyond that. You're, you come down a lot harder on Barry Bonds than you do Alex Rodriguez. Talk about why. Well, only because I felt, um, you know, we've talked about the steroid I- issue, and I have just felt that that I've been brought up and I've watched players, owners, all constituencies, who really cared about the game and put the carrying of the game before themselves. <clears throat> and that's, in a great sense, how I look at people. And... Um, uh, I know Alex and I had some difficulties, to say the least. That's an understatement. Um, but I've, I came to final conclusion just watching people and watching them up close and see how they reacted. I, I want to ask you about 9-11, uh, another moment that figures prominently in the political world. And people remember the reaction in the sports world, baseball uh, canceled games for, I think it was a week uh, after 9-11. Right. Uh, and then, of course, the World Series right, right. here in New York City uh, that featured George W. Bush throwing out that that first pitch. You got a chance to interact with him a little bit and, yeah. and around that. What did you make of the role of political leadership coming together with baseball at that time? How important moments was that? to me in American history. American history. Right. I really do because the, the tragedy was obvious. Waited six days to resume play. I often tell the story. I was so nervous um, before that Monday night when we came back before we get to the World Series. And I, I, I was comfortable. I had talked to everybody, including the President of the United States, who was just could not have been more helpful and was um, whom I have a high regard for. And I, I, um, we finally opened up. I was sitting with one of my little granddaughters and um, – watching the game, and it was a pregame of the Cardinals and the Brewers from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And there's Jack Buck, famous Jack Buck, great man, great announcer. And he read a poem that's written on a piece of cardboard. And at the end, he said, it's in the book, should we be here tonight? And with that, the crowd rose with a standing ovation. And I cried. My little granddaughter couldn't understand why I was crying. <laughs> and the rest of that year, I hope in our own way we help the country, own little way, I'll say. And now you talk about the World Series, Diamondbacks and the Yankees, great World Series. That third game in New York, I've been in a lot of ballparks in my lifetime. I've never been in a park like that. The tension. The first one in New York, the first World Series game in New York of that series. Yeah, Yeah, the excitement, walking around and. And I went down to see the president, say hello and thank him for everything. And um, um, he was warming up, and it was, it was tense. But and he and I had now known each other a long time, so we we talked for a little bit. Derek Jeter walked by, and he like that, came over to say hello. And Derek, as he walked away, only he could say this. He walked away and he said, "Don't bounce it tonight, Mr. <laughs> president." And they, it got a chuckle out of me, a, a smile out of the president. But he was, it was, and when he went out to the mound and they chanted USA and people cried and it was, uh, you know, I refer to baseball as a social institution. That was a great moment. And it was a perfect strike from the former 
owner of the Rangers. That's <laughs> he exactly nailed it right. with the bulletproof vest. And exactly everything. right. Uh, I, I'm curious your take about uh, the, the the White House visits that have come up recently, and now with USA Soccer, the women's team potentially being invited, it may come up again. But we saw that the the uh, the, the dilemma that many Red Sox players had recently about whether to attend. I saw an intriguing suggestion floated by Dale Murphy, the former yeah. Braves great recently, that said that the owners should protect the players in this case and say, look, people are being used, players are being used as political props by politicians. There should be no more White House visits as long as we're in this kind of polarized political environment. What's your take on on whether it's appropriate to either go or not go? I think a team has to make that judgment. But the team should stick together as opposed to individual well, players? Well, I, oftentimes they do and sometimes they don't. Now, in the Red Sox case, a lot of players just didn't go. And I think that, look, I said before, baseball is a social institution. Social institutions, as you all and I know, are not perfect. And they'll have these things. But I really believe that each individual player ought to make their own judgment. I want to I allow you to become emperor of baseball for a moment because a lot of us play this game if you were commissioner what would what rules would you change right and and obviously the commissioner can't just decree that three balls equals a walk or or anything of the like but when you look at the game right now if you could play emperor and make a rules change or or some kind of a change what would it be when you watch the game well uh and i think the thing that uh, commissioner manfred and his people are now working on is 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 correct i mean you're going to look for ways (coughs) to speed the game up a little and um, uh, games have, you know, taken longer. They play it differently today. Relief pitchers are, are used from the fifth and sixth inning on mm-hmm. now. And, and so there are a lot of things. And that's, I guess, the only thing I'd say is that's what I would address. And they are addressing it. How would you do it? I mean, there's, there's, there's some radical proposals like putting a runner on second and extra No, innings. no, no, I wouldn't do that. No, I, you know, I, I, I had more change than any commissioner, but I'm still conservative. That, I, I, I don't. No, I, I wouldn't even think of that. But, you know, you have things like pitch clocks. and uh, you Talk about Henry Aaron. I don't think Henry would mind me telling you. In his 23 years, he never got out of the batter's box once he got in. Yeah. Remember in those days, Drysdale, Koufax, Bob Gibson, uh, you might pay a price. They'd make that. you feel it if you got out, yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, I'm just curious as we close here. The, the All the issues that you faced uh, as commissioner of baseball, it's a lonely job. You're, you're under fire. You had Ted Williams tell you what a – what a horrific job uh, it he is. He did on a weekly day. basis, and it was great because— He'd call you up? Oh, he'd call me up all the time, I, every every once a week, and he'd start out, you have the worst blankety-blank <laughs> job in America. And then, then he'd go into what he wanted to talk about. Who who Did you have an inner circle? Did you talk to commissioners of other leagues, like David Cern from the NBA? There's a lot of overlap. Well, I did. There issues. is overlap. But no, I, you know, I was pretty close to a lot of owners— whether we agreed or not, you know, I often tell the story. It's in the book a lot about George Steinbrenner. Yeah. And we never agreed on much of anything. After all, he ran the Yankees and I was running the Brewers. And then, of course, I... but yet we were very close friends. And, and that's, I, I guess, um, I just, I knew where everybody stood. I spent endless hours every day. Nobody could figure it out on the phone. But... All the people involved had their franchise involved, have the sport involved. And that's how the name of the book came because I had been taught, and and in the end, I think owners were great. They did, in the end, even if it pained them, to do what's for the good of the game. But though, that's the people I remain closest with. And the book is titled For the Good of the Game, Tremendous Stories from Decades uh, Running as the Commissioner of Major League Baseball, Bud Selig, Baseball Hall of Famer. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be with you. 
That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll be back later in the week with our regular episode. Until then, thanks for listening.